Peace, peace, everyone. I'm gonna do a, a impromptu. I've been doing a few of these, just impromptu live streams. Um, as you can see, the title of the, the live stream, Power Seven. Right? Just gonna get into it. Give me one moment. quick i'm just gonna post this up live stream now hold on i'm gonna get back to it momentary hold on
Peace. Peace, y'all. My apologies. My apologies. Look, I'm getting started about 10 minutes late up in here. Um, that was a call I had to take. That was emergency. Um, basically, long story short, family, um, checking up on family, but all is well. So I appreciate your patience. I know people have jumped in and out of the stream. But I'm not going to hold y'all any longer. So um, before I begin with the broadcast on the Power 7 and how I caught AI making mistakes, I'm just going to go ahead real quick and just basically um, let y'all know the following. Tomorrow I have set for an interview again with the brother Grand Sheik, Dwayne Smith Bay. Uh, we're going to get into the history of um, the late Sage Master Jerome Graham Bay, as well as we're getting into um, uh, Margaret Thompson Bay as well. So he's going to give us a little history um, of those two uh, Moorish elders who um, passed form and their contributions to the movement. But um, like I said, apologies, everyone. I'm just going to put, after this is done, y'all just skip to 10 minutes. Uh, y'all can forward this. Y'all ain't got to hear all that music in the intro. But I want to just basically go into the subject matter. Uh, I'm going to first start off. First, um, I'll be sharing my screen and doing some presentation. So I'm going to go ahead here. Okay. All right. Again, appreciate y'all. Here we go. All right. So I'm going to start off with chapter 14 of the Holy Quran and Moor Science Temple of America. And I'm going to start off with verse 5. Of course, this is John the Harbinger returns to Hebron, lives as a hermit in the wilds, visits Jerusalem, and speaks to the people. And um, the context of this is basically speaking about some things that um, are in alignment today. We just passed. Yesterday was 7-7-2023. Of course, that's marking the 777. And uh, we're getting into the power of the seven and the frequency and how the, all this ties into us and how we can apply it. But I'm going to start off with verse 5 where it says when John was 30 years of age he went into Jerusalem and in the marketplace he sat in silence seven days the common people and the priests the scribes and Pharisees came out in multitudes to see the silent hermit of the hills but none were bold enough to ask him who he was but when his silence passed was done he stood forth in the midst of all and said, behold, the king has come. The prophets told of him. The wise men long have looked for him. Prepare, O Israel, to meet your king. And that was all he said. And no one knew where he had gone. So I want to give context to all of this. 
So, like I said yesterday, Friday, was July 7th of 2023. Now, I want to get into the context of that, why this is important, because what some people may or may not know is what has been done in this period of time, and I'm going to show you why a portal has actually been opened in terms of frequency. Now, there are people who may be familiar with my book, How Many Days Are in the Circle, and I get into time cycles. And I'm going to get into a, a few things that are important in reference to this. But what I want, to, want it to be known is, one, I want to get into how the cycles work or how certain cycles work. One of the things that we know about is cycles that women have in connection with the moon, right? Menstrual cycles, right? So the moon plays a very powerful part in the context of what we have with these cycles or our connection with the universe and being in tune with cycles. Women are more in tune with cycles, um, more naturally, I should say, in tune with cycles than are men. Though men aren't, men can be and are in tune with cycles, but it's, of course, with the women, it's, they're more intuitive. And of course, they have their menstrual cycles and things of that nature. So it's more, it's just, it just flows easier for the woman. Now, some of you may be familiar with something known as the um, supermoon. We just had a supermoon, okay? That supermoon, right? I'm going to go ahead and play this real quick for y'all to kind of give y'all the context of what happened. There's four supermoons that are going to take or taking place. Uh, just begun. The one just took place on July 3rd. So I'm going to play this for y'all real quick. First, what exactly is the supermoon? The term supermoon has been recently popularized to refer to a phenomenon that occurs when a full moon coincides with the moon's closest approach to Earth in its orbit. During this time, the moon appears larger and brighter than it usually does, providing a spectacular sight for sky watchers. But I'm sure you're wondering why the moon has a closer approach to the Earth with respect to other phases of its orbit and then a much further away one. Well, it has been long thought that the moon orbits the planet in a perfect circle. But in reality, this is not the case. The moon's orbit is actually slightly elliptical or oval shape. You probably know Vistaprint for business cards. But did you know we also print that and that and that? This means that when the moon is at its closest point to the Earth, called perigee, it is about 30,000 miles or 48,200 kilometers closer to the planet than when it is at the most distant point, called apogee. This elliptical orbit then affects the moon's apparent size and brightness when observed from the Earth. A quick interesting fact, the reason for this slight deviation from a perfect circle is due to the gravitational pull of other celestial bodies, such as the Sun. These objects have the power to alter the moon's orbit and make it slightly elliptical. In addition, the Earth's own gravitational pull can have an effect on the moon's path around the planet. When a supermoon occurs, the moon is at perigee, meaning it's at its closest point to Earth. 
It is seen to be about 15% bigger and 30% brighter than a full moon and apogee, its farthest point from Earth. Even though the difference in size and brightness is not immediately noticeable to the naked eye, it does make for a spectacular show. A supermoon can be seen about twice or three times every year when the moon is at its closest point and is full. Depending on the weather, the best time to observe the supermoon is when it is low on the horizon, as this is when its impressive size and brightness will be the most noticeable. To further enhance the experience, it's best to find a location with a good view of the horizon in all directions, such as a high hill or even the beach. The next supermoon will occur on July 3rd. Make sure not to miss it. It's the night right before the fireworks on July 4th. It will be a hell of a couple of days for the sky in July. Let's go through the different types of supermoons. Let's start with the most popular one, the blood moon. A blood moon is a type of supermoon. This makes for a spectacularly large and bright moon in the night. We'll use the expression once every blue moon to describe something that happens rarely, like going to the gym, for example. We all know how lazy you are. Anyway, that is to say that this expression doesn't come from nowhere. It's because a blue moon is a rare occurrence. A blue moon is seen when two full moons happen in the same calendar month. Although not technically a supermoon, a blue moon is still an impressive sight as it looks larger and brighter than usual. A blue moon occurs roughly once every 2.7 years, meaning that a full supermoon only occurs about once every blue moon. This can also occur when four full moons happen in one season, and this event becomes even rarer. It only happens about once in a three-year span. So why do we see an extra moon in this case? The phases of the moon take 29.5 days to complete, so it would take 354 days to complete 12 full cycles of the moon. Simple mathematics, but this does not add up to a... Okay, so real quick, I'm just going to go into and explain that real quick. So you have supermoons, and these moons, as mentioned, occur when the full moon is closest to the Earth in its in its orbit, right? The combination of the full moon as well as it being at its closest point to the orbit creates what's called a supermoon. And you have different types. You have blood moon, you have um, blue moon, you have a harvest moon, and you have a pink moon. So that's four supermoons, four different types. And these types of moons are all happening now. So I want to show y'all something real quick. Okay. Let me stop sharing. Real quick. This is the point I'm trying to make. In the power of the seven, when it comes to a cycle, there's four phases in the moon, right? Within 28 days. And you divide the 28 days by four, you get seven for each, each phase in which you have those phases of the moon. So, even the term month means moon. Now, why is this important with the 777? Because at this point in time, what you're going to do is you're going to get into a context of 
energy that's being disseminated from outside, or I should say, whatever context you want to use, the universe, etc. Everything is lining up in a certain way where you have the opportunity to manifest certain things. Now, one of the things that you, you're going to deal with in the context is with energy. And in the context with energy, what's going to happen is this. You're going to see where certain points on, on this planet will be able to spark um, higher ranges of frequency throughout. This is just what it is. Okay. So, for example, when you're dealing with when you're dealing with certain things such as certain points on the map, right? I'm going to go ahead here. I'm going to play this. And I won't be long because I know I know people's attention span can get short. So, I'm just going to play this real quick. One of my videos that I po posted up, I had Jerome Grand Bay speak about the Moors. The Moors actually gave Christopher Columbus a map or a book of maps. So he got the map from the Moors, which was the basis of him traveling into the Western world. So... I'm going to go ahead and play that video for you, and then I'm going to get into how this ties with seven. So hold on. Moore gave Columbus maps of America before he sailed to America. Now, why is this important? Because within these maps, there were certain coordinates. Remember, if you remember the story about Christopher Columbus, he made several trips 
to what they called the New World. On his second voyage, right, his second voyage, he went to Jamaica. Now, he specifically went to what is called St. Anne's Bay. And St. Anne's Bay falls on what's known as the 77th Meridian West. So when you pull up on Wikipedia about 77 Meridian West, it will tell you. The Meridian 77 degrees west of Greenwich is a line of longitude that extends from the North Pole across the Arctic Ocean, North America, the Atlantic Ocean, the Caribbean Sea, South America, the Pacific Ocean, the Southern Ocean, and Antarctica to the South Pole. The 77th Meridian West forms a great circle with the 103rd Meridian East. So as you see right there over to the right, you see the line, you see the map, 77 degrees. So you can see where it crosses, right? So from pole to pole, here's a diagram of where the 77th Meridian West passes through. As you see, Arctic Ocean goes all the way through Canada, several places, including Quebec, uh, Quebec and Ontario. Then it goes through the United States. Interestingly about the United States, it hits basically seven states, or I should say six states in the District of Columbia. New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, District of Columbia, Maryland, okay. Then it hits Virginia, North Carolina. So you see all those spots where it hits. So now, actually that hits you over here. Then it goes into Bahamas, Cuba, Caribbean Sea, Jamaica, then on into South America, Colombia, Panama, Ecuador, Peru, Pacific Ocean, Southern Ocean, Antarctica. So now, when you get into Jamaica, remember I said on the second voyage, Columbus went to Jamaica, right? So St. Anne's. So this is a this is a parish information about St. Anne's over here. So I'm just gonna read this. It says St. Anne, the largest parish, is centrally located on the north coast of the island, right? Then when you get into the brief history, it says St. Anne is one of the oldest populated areas in the island. It is believed the earliest Taino Arawak settlements can be traced in this area as far back as 600, 650 AD. Because of the abundance of fresh water, it was always well populated. Columbus, Christopher Columbus recorded this in his diary. Christopher Columbus set foot, first set foot on Jamaican soil in what is now the parish of St. Anne at a place now called Discovery Bay. Okay? So that's where he first rolled into. You also see that this is the 
place of Marcus Garvey's birthplace and his statue, as well as it you have Bob Marley's statue, Bob Marley Museum, I should say, because that is the that is the birthplace as well as the burial site of Bob Marley, right? So you have that key spot over here, St. Anne, Jamaica. So remember what I said, right? Through Jamaica. Now, when you get into certain spots, you get into a place called, in North Carolina, the last state that it hits in the United States before it goes into um, the Atlantic Ocean is North Carolina. It doesn't hit South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. It doesn't hit any of those other spots. The last state it crosses through, um, the 77th Meridian West crosses through, is North Carolina. Specifically, it crosses through a town known as Como, North Carolina. Now, when I looked up Como, North Carolina, I found something interesting. There was a, there was a brother by the name of Jim Jordan, who they called a conjure doctor, or some would say a witch doctor, hoodoo doctor, right? This is the, this is the website, webpage dedicated to him. If you go there, they have an actual marker, um, a historic marker in that town dedicated towards this man. It says, legends and lore. Conjure Dr. Jim Jordan, 1871 to 1962, used herbs, roots, and crystal ball to treat patients who came from all over the country to be healed. North Carolina Folklife Institute, William G. Pomeroy Foundation, 2019. So they set this up for a supposed witch doctor. That's how respected he was. He healed people from all over the country. When he died, it was a big funeral. Like, it was a major thing in that small town. This is, um, let me show you a picture of him. This is Jim Jordan. Dr. Jim Jordan, who was considered to be the, um, he was a person who healed everybody in that town and from all across the country. Now I'm going to go back and read some of the um, the information here. I'm going to start from the second paragraph, where it says conjuring was popular throughout the South and in North Carolina. There was one man known as Dr. Jim Jordan, who became famous for his ability to help people. Born June 3rd. 1871 is James Spurgeon Jim Jordan in Como, North Carolina. Dr. Jim was said to use his abilities only for good in that he never worked with, quote, old Satan, end quote. The website conjuredoctors.com states that he was able to gain the respect of not only medical doctors from the area, but also business people in law enforcement who knew him as an, quote, honest man and powerful conjurer, end quote. It's believed that he began treating people in the 1890s, and he was so diverse in healing 
that he never declared a specialty, allowing people with all types of problems to come to him. Dr. Jim continued on in his work for almost 50 years before passing away on January 28th, 1962. And of course, there's a a book written about him called The Fabled Dr. Jim Jordan, written in 1963. So this was a man who in the... um, during the Jim Crow South, during uh, the Reconstruction period, uh, right out of slavery, right? He was so well respected of people there and he healed so-called white people and so-called black people. He healed people of all races. They didn't even see him, they didn't even see him as uh, your average Negro or your average nigger. Right. They respected him because he was the man to heal, you know, so and they was willing to deal with a man that didn't deal with traditional medicine, but who dealt with uh, what they call the conjuring arts, you know, with the crystal ball. Like they said, he used the crystal ball. Let me look at here. Yep. And you notice the symbol just. Pay attention to the symbol there that they use with the crescent, of course, the mark on the face, the stars, etc. So they're letting you know that he this is in this is in line with the occult. It's very common to have that. They actually have his um they have his place that he used to practice at preserved and they still have a lot of his uh, remedies, the bottles of his remedies there, if you go there. So dealing with the 77th Meridian, right? So I'm going to go into here. 77th Meridian is called God's Meridian. Real quick. And I probably will read some of this and then um, touch on some other things and then just shut it down. I wasn't trying to be on too long, but this says God's Meridian 77 degrees posted by Esclamande. Date Sunday, 31 December 2000, right? In response to clandestine Luciferians of the 77 Meridian, Dexter. So I'm going to go ahead here. I'm going to pass all that one right here. I'm going to take it right here. It says, observers will note that this is the longitude to a high degree of precision of the capital city of the United States, Washington, D.C. There is even a Meridian Hill in Washington that marks out the precise location of 77 degrees west, placed there by the architect of the city, Pierre Charles um, Le Infante. I can't pronounce that. It's French. But um, it is also the longitude of the first English settlements in North America. This we do not think is a coincidence. 
we are not alone in this suspicion. Now, there's a couple of points I want to mention about this. Right? Remember, it says it's the longitude of the first English settlements in North America. So that means when the, when the Europeans first came here, they marked that the same way Christopher Columbus went to St. Anne's, which is on 77 degrees west, the 77th meridian. Now, a couple of things I want to know, note. It mentions Meridian Hill. This is a picture of Meridian Hill in, in Washington, D.C., also known as Malcolm X um, Park. Meridian Hill Park, also known as Malcolm X Park. So if you notice on the um, description, it says Italian-style cascading water fountain at Meridian Hill Park, Washington, D.C. That is actually Moorish. Whenever they tell you something about the um, Italian architecture or the Spanish architecture, they're really talking about Moorish architecture because Italy and Spain did not have that type of architecture until the Moors came in 711 AD. So this is actually Moorish architecture in alignment with Meridian Hill Park, also known as Malcolm X Park in Washington, D.C. that was designed by this man right here, Benjamin Banneker. March 12th. 1791, Benjamin Banneker helped L'Enfant began to lay out D.C. That's that's the missing link that they don't speak about. Everyone who knows about the pentagram, oh, the Pentagon, um, Washington's monument, the layout of Capitol's, um, Capitol Hill and all of that, all of that layout was done by this man who was an astronomer, self-taught astronomer. Um, he wrote the almanac, invented a clock, created a clock. He was a mathematician. He dealt with those higher sciences. They had to rely on a more in order to get this done, as you see. So all this had to take place. They had to use a more to to be in line to create the design, this layout that was going to be directly on the 77th degree west meridian, which is also known as God's meridian. They had to use a God, in other words, to operate on that. These things are no coincidence. Now, I'm going to get into the aspect of um, the other part of my title where it says how I, um, how I caught AI making mistakes. So I decided, you know, because I was searching about God's Meridian, I knew a lot about the, um, already about the 77th Meridian West. So I wanted to know if there was any extra sources pertaining to the term God's Meridian as it applied to the 77th Meridian. So I went on, I went on uh, chat GGP. So here's what I, so here's how it went down. That's what I typed. Explain what is God's meridian 77 degrees west. 
Here's the answer. I'm sorry, but I couldn't find any specific information or references to God's meridian 77 degrees west in the context of any established geographical or religious concept. It's possible that the term you mentioned is not widely recognized, or it could be a localized or a personal interpretation. Can you provide any details or context about what you're referring to? Then I replied, I'm referring to the 77th meridian that crosses that part of Jamaica where Christopher Columbus traveled to. In response, thank you for providing additional context. The 77th meridian west is a line of longitude that passes through various locations around the globe, including parts of Jamaica. However, there is no specific religious or divine significance associated with this meridian. Meridians are imaginary lines used to measure longitude and are important for navigation and mapping purposes. If you're specifically interested in the part of Jamaica where Christopher Columbus traveled, it's, no, it's worth noting that Columbus arrived in Jamaica during his fourth voyage to Americas in 1503. He made landfall in present day St. Anne Parish located along the northern coast of Jamaica. The exact longitude of the location where Columbus first landed may vary, but it would be approximately around the 77th meridian west or in its vicinity. However, it's important to clarify that the term God's meridian is not a commonly recognized or widely used designation for the 77th meridian or any other meridian. It's possible that the term is specific to a certain religious or cultural interpretation, but without further information, it's challenging to provide a more specific explanation. Now, ChatGTP gave a long explanation in, in reference to this, but I noticed something. They made an error because it said that Columbus arrived in Jamaica during his fourth voyage. It was the second. I already knew that. So I asked the question, didn't Columbus arrive in Jamaica during his second voyage? Now read the response. Here you go. Apologies for the mistake in my previous response. You are correct. Christopher Columbus did arrive in Jamaica during his second voyage to the Americas, not the fourth voyage, as I previously mentioned. He reached the island on May 4, 1492. During his second voyage, Columbus explored various Caribbean islands, including Jamaica. Upon reaching Jamaica, Columbus initially landed on the north coast of the island near what is now Discover Discovery Bay in St. Anne Parish. He and his crew spent about a month in Jamaica, making observations and exploring the surroundings. Columbus described the island as, quote, the fairest isle that eyes ever beheld, end quote. Thank you for pointing out the error, and I apologize for any confusion caused. Ain't that something? AI, AI apologized to me. <laughs> he said, AI is always lying, right? Yeah. They try to get you caught up and think you, you know what, they know what they're talking about all the time. I just wanted to share that, man, um, and have a little fun on that. 
that that was that was crazy. That that was that was crazy. Yep. So there you have it, man. I just wanted to share that with the family. Um, I wasn't gonna hold on uh, long, um, and I appreciate it. Uh, Valley Price Bay, you are welcome. You're definitely welcome. Um, this is this is just something to share with the family real quick. And before I go again, check me out um, tomorrow, y'all. Tomorrow around seven o'clock. Uh, I'll be giving my interview with Grand Sheik, Dwayne Smith Bay, getting on some um, history, um, history of Baltimore, history of the Moors in Baltimore, and uh, I think you'll enjoy that. So I won't hold y'all any longer. Uh, without further ado, y'all be good. Until next time, peace and love.